0: This is the Journey 66 book writing podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Goetz and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book or maybe you've gone off road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. My family will tell you that one of my favorite things to ask people is, what are you thinking? When a person is quiet but clearly mentally engaged, I just can't help myself from asking. I have to know what's going on in their mind. I'm curious, genuinely curious. And that curiosity often leads to a series of follow-up questions once the person tells me what they're thinking, which, by the way, is usually something I never would be thinking about. Asking questions is not just a great way to deepen relationships, if the person is honestly answering the question, but it's also a great way to learn new things. Countless times when I ask my son, what are you thinking? His response is about some mathematical problem. In those cases, I learn very little because I just don't understand math, but I learn about what interests my son. Some of us are more curious than others, but as humans, we are all curious. It's how we have survived for thousands of years. Pushing your curiosity is also essential for writing, especially book writing. Sometimes you write a book not because you're an expert, because you're curious about a topic and want to learn more. It's curiosity that keeps you traipsing around for fresh ideas, a new way of looking at the world. It's what makes your book alive and unique. There are bound to be times when you're stuck in book writing, whether it's at the idea formation stage or as you flush out a chapter. At those moments, it's time to plug into your curiosity. Today, Dave and I want to discuss how to develop your curiosity and how to harness it for developing your writing. But first, we are going to talk about where we've made progress. So Dave, how about you? Where have you made progress this week?
1: I'm not going to talk about my puppy. I'm going to talk about that. I completed an audio book that I had been listening to. I often listened to three or four at a time, but this one I'd been listening to probably since gosh, June. And we had gone to South Dakota and done all these trips, and I hadn't listened to it the entire way because my wife was in the car and I didn't want to bore her. But the book is called Noise, and it's about the errors that we make in human judgment. And it's it, it comes from a statistical point of view. For example, they, they look at judges and just how wide a range of, of judgments that judges will make. Judges, some are lenient, some are, are strict, some are lenient sometimes, some are strict at other times. And so this is called noise. So whenever, and this is the big idea of the book, so whenever there is um, human judgment, there's noise. Whenever there's a variability in human judgment, there's what's called noise. Tell me where you've made progress.
0: I think I'm making progress in my side hustle, McGillicuddy, in my pricing structure, as far as pricing things higher so that I'm actually paid more for the time that I spend sourcing materials, getting materials ready for sale, et cetera, et cetera. There was a time when I would only try to Double the price of what I bought something for, and think, well, that's pretty nice. But I heard somebody say you really need to at least triple um, the price on something that you you buy it for because you have to you have to figure an overhead and your gas that you're using to go find this merchandise, and even just your time that you're away from doing other things. So I've gotten a lot more disciplined about. Pricing things higher and not feeling ashamed of my pricing because there's a sense you put a high price on something and you think, oh my gosh, people are going to think that I'm scamming them or people are going to see that and think that I'm, you know, all my prices are high or whatever. You just start to you start to second guess yourself. I came from a discount mindset I, when I started out doing McGillicuddy, It was really it was more just pure hobby. I would do it, I would do a show a couple times a year. And so for me, it was just fun. And I really felt joy in passing on great deals to those who purchased items from me. Because if I found something cheap, then I'm like, well, I can pass it along for cheap. For me, that was, that was fine because I wasn't, I wasn't as committed in my time to doing it. I wasn't thinking that way, I guess, partly. But I also really was just discount. I underestimated how much time I was actually putting into the effort. I'm really trying to see myself as kind of the curator and bringing value that other people can't provide for themselves. That is yeah. huge. It is huge progress. <laughs> it's really
1: getting paid for your value. And, it, and there is a reluctance, I think, to do that. I felt that in my other business for years. Ah, that's huge progress. Great work.
0: Well, thank you. Well, I know that you and I both have a lot to say on today's topic on curiosity and asking questions. I talked about myself being a genuinely curious person, but you too, Dave, are a genuinely curious person. You are always asking great questions and turning the conversation when you're in a conversation to the other person and asking great follow-up questions. So I think that this will be a fun conversation for us just because it's something that we do. We've practiced, but we do somewhat naturally and quite regularly. Let's start with just our own stories of how we became curious, good question askers. Do you wanna go first or do you want me to go first, Dave?
1: Why don't you go first? Because I think you really have a a really powerful story. So why don't you tell us kind of the genesis, not kind of, the genesis (laughs) of curiosity. I I would just say on the outset that you're probably the best question asker I've, I've ever been around. Where did it all start, Melissa?
0: Well, it started with me not being a good question asker, believe it or not. And so I was a very, very shy person growing up. You know, we'd go and be in groups of people. My sister and I were 16 months apart, and we just had these big eyes, look terrified, tears and headlights. For years, my parents let us get away with this. And my dad is a pastor. So we, my sister and I were in lots of social settings where lots of attention was placed on us because we're the pastor's kids and they want to know about us and who, you know, what are we into? And we were just, we were very shy and it didn't come naturally. And so one day we were actually meeting with our softball coach. My sister and I played softball to go pick up our participation trophy. And we went to our coach's house. We rode our bikes over there and he asked us questions. And I'm sure my sister and I gave simple question answers to his question. And my dad was furious. He was furious. He got on the bike riding home and he was like, you guys are so rude. You didn't, you know, respond as, yeah, I don't even remember the exact words. All I know is that we were in deep trouble because for some reason we did not respond in the way that he thought was appropriate when somebody was asking us questions. And we just seemed like we... Couldn't answer a question or even ask a question. And so my dad got home and talked with my mom, and they came up with this solution to help us be better at interacting with adults. And they said, every day you have to go find one adult and ask three questions of that adult. And so we would be, yeah. So we would be like, oh, is our neighbor out today? Let's go ask him three questions what it forced you to do is you would ask one question, like, how's your day going? And they could say, it's fine. And then it's like, that's only one question. So you have to come up with the next question, a follow-up question, like, oh, so what are you working on? And you you learn very quickly that you have to ask more open-ended questions, or you have to find something to pick up on to ask the follow-up question. So that became something that cresta and i my sister and i we just became experts at doing whenever we were with an adult whenever we were with anybody it's like ask them three questions and it just became kind of second nature so my sister is very good at asking questions as well but something else that stuck with me through the ages is when i got older and was in high school, and I was also very shy. My mom always said, Melissa, if you don't know what to say, just ask the person about themselves because people are experts about themselves and they love to talk about themselves and they feel good when they talk about themselves. So just start asking questions about other people and you'll have an instant connection. Those two events in my life really shaped who I am as far as a question asker.
1: Well, you exemplify someone who who you want to talk to at a party, because when you go to parties, you know, you hold your cocktail and listen to other people talk, right? And you're someone who will not just ask the question, but actually be interested enough to ask the follow-up question. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, And that is just so powerful on a lot of different levels. And we're going to talk about applying this to book writing a little bit later in this episode. But curiosity, which comes in the form of questions, is so, so important. I worked for almost a decade at a publishing company before I started my strategic marketing agency back almost 20 years ago. Well, more than 20 years ago. And I was in the bowels of the organization. I was not a player, I was not a fast rising, you know, I was a low level manager. But I became friends with several of the vice presidents, two in particular. And I had this reputation. One of them said to me, you know, Dave, I need, I find out more about what what went on in that, that vice president's meeting, which I attended. I found out less than what you did and you didn't attend it. Meaning, so I had these relationships. So I just follow up with people and I would ask questions. So what happened? I would ask the follow-up question. I would ask kind of questions of strategy and meaning. So I would learn about what was going on in the company through my relationships with these two vice presidents that is just part of a larger framework for me. I, I'm not tall in stature. I'm 5'8". And I when I walk into a room, nobody goes, oh my God, Dave Getz is in the room. And so early on, I had to learn how to build and network in relationships by asking questions. And I just became really good at it. And you'll find out, in fact, so many people will feel uncomfortable with me because I'll ask questions and not say anything about myself, and it's not that I'm not interested. I'm just trying to jack with them and you know mess with them and just ask questions. But I'm just I just kind of think my life is not that interesting, and I'm much more interested in other people. Just like you, it's one of those disciplines that that I've developed through the years. I don't even think about it. It's a little bit like handwriting notes. I write about somewhere between five and six hundred uh, handwritten notes a year. I don't even think about it. I just do it as part of the habit that I have, and I think that's how I see you as well.
0: I have a quick question because I'm curious. Do you ever feel awkward when somebody turns the tables and does a deep dive of questions with you? Like when I'm in the spotlight with questions, so to speak, I I tend to feel more uncomfortable. I much more prefer being the person asking the questions than being the person answering the questions.
1: I think that's true for me. Absolutely. That's true. Why do you think that is for you? Is it that you feel like your story isn't that interesting or what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think
0: is? I think it is. I think it's yeah, I think it's because I feel like I'm really not that interesting. And it's also really good for me because I realize the vulnerable pres- position I'm p- placing people in when I ask prime questions or questions that go a little bit deeper, it's not easy to share that information, especially if you don't have trust with the person. So yeah, it's good for me when people actually turn the tables and ask me questions because it makes me more sensitive than of how I'm going to be asking questions of people or just at least be Got aware that. that it's not, it's not always the best time to ask a question or, you know, should I pull back some or when is it appropriate to push and when it isn't, when isn't it. So what about you? Why do you feel uncomfortable? Do you think?
1: I honestly just think that my, my stories are not that interesting. Historically, the getses, especially the male getses, just we're just not good storytellers. My dad is not a good storyteller. My brother is not a good storyteller. I'm not a good storyteller. I, I think my sisters are probably better at it than I am. I just hesitate because I think what makes great conversation is the ability to, to tell a good story. And I always get lost in the details. You know, I'll start telling a hunting story or a fishing story, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, I've given them way too many details and kind of lost the thread which is the punchline, right? So
0: Well, that's all beside the point, but I do think it's interesting if you're a question asker by nature and you do most of the question asking, it's sometimes uncomfortable to be in the the recipient spot. We told you a little bit about our own backgrounds of being curious and asking questions, but we want to provide a little bit of insight first on just the process of engaging in conversation and asking good questions and The first thing we want to talk about is how to ask a good question. What is a good question? And some of this stuff will feel patently obvious, but some of it may feel fresh to you. There was a quote by Dale Carnegie in his classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He said, ask questions the other person will enjoy answering. And I think this kind of goes back to what my mom was saying. People really love to talk about themselves. And if you can tap into something that they're excited about, that they're experts on, then you're going to get them talking. So I still think that that advice, however, meaning 90, almost 90 years later, 85 years later, still is so powerful.
1: Yeah, Just yesterday, I was at a meeting, a prospect meeting for my other business, and we had lunch and it was a young executive. And he got talking about one of his passions, uh, which is bow hunting. And I'm not a bow hunter, but he started talking about the arrows that he uses. And he talked about these new arrows called flatheads. So he started, he said that. And then I said, Whoa, I've never heard that before. Where did you, where did you learn about that? And then he goes off into Australia. He had learned about this from some sort of Australian website. He goes into this and we go into about 10 to 15 minutes talking about these flat, flathead arrowheads that they use. And that, they're similar to what the indians used to use and we're kind of going all the way back to that because of how they twist and turn but just a simple question around his interest but it was open ended so where did you learn about that it wasn't an, it wasn't a yes no question
0: right and i think that that's the big tip here is to ask open ended questions not something that people can simply answer with yes or no so tell me about that tell me more about that wow i've never heard that before can you explain that to me phrases like that, or how do you go about doing that? Or what do you think about what this person says on this topic that you're talking about? So anything, these who, what questions, tell me about questions, they all get the person to be reflective and to to think out loud and to not simply give you a yes or no. But I do love this idea of letting people talk about what they're passionate about. I know that when people ask me about antiquing, that's something that I will just go off on and something I feel absolutely comfortable talking about for a very long time. I do think that that is one, um, one other tip in this section is to really tap into what people are interested in and find that thing and, and just go with it. So what's our next tip about asking questions before we get to the application for writing?
1: So the trick really is not the first question. It's that second question or third question. Just recently, my son, Corey, brought a friend over and he had been traveling through and he was coming through Chicago and we had dinner together and he, he asked me what I did. So I talked to him about the two different businesses that I had, specifically about my strategic marketing consultancy, we worked with a lot of tech firms, financial services firms. So he asked me the basic question. So what do you do for a living, basically, right? What do you do for a living? And when I told him, he goes, well, how do, you, how do you know about everything that these companies do? Because like financial services, that's very specific. How do you know all that? Well, nobody had ever asked me that question because we do work with a lot of software companies, financial services, and it's really specific content. It was a really great question. And I had to pause and, and I said, well, you know, when you've been doing it over 20 years and you've had 10 to 20 clients in each of those categories you start to learn the language. But it was one of those great follow-up questions. And coming from a 20-year-old, I thought, this is really impressive. And so I just went off and I, it, it was such an enjoyable conversation because he asked something that i never thought about, but I wanted to talk about.
0: What he did was he turned a question about something that he didn't know anything about into a question that was really interesting to you. So I think that if you don't know the answer to something and it genuinely interests you, turn that into a question and use that as the follow-up question. Don't be afraid to ask it, even if it seems seems dumb, you know, because the person may not have even thought about it. And it may be really interesting for the other person to answer like it was for you. But I think if you have a question in your mind after that initial answer to the first question, then pose it and, and then pose the next one after that. I also like to say that you can pay attention to cues when people are talking. Sometimes people hesitate to say something. They start into a story or they, they start to say something and then they pull back and then they rephrase it in a way that may be more safe, maybe safer. When they do that, I always say, what were you going to say right there? Because I think you wanted to say something else. And most often, people will answer that question. Most pe- often, people want to share what they really wanted to share, but maybe didn't feel like they should share. So, again, it's paying attention to those nonverbal cues when people hesitate, when people pause to think of the right words, when people state something or start to say something and then pull back. Those are usually indications that there's something there that they want to let out that they may just need a little bit of nudging to let out. So that would be one tip also is to pay attention to those nonverbal cues when you ask those follow-up questions.
1: Sometimes it's a raised eyebrow, but often, especially if you're a writer, now let's, let's bring this back to writing, you're curious because you don't get the good stuff with the first question. Because you only get the good, the good story, the good insight when you, when you sense an emotion in something that they've said, or like what you just said, they hesitated, you follow up and often you'll, they'll start to go off and you'll like, oh my goodness, that is some of the best content that I can use as grist for my book. And so I often, like right now, I'm working on this idea for a book. So I'll just ask people about certain things and I'll do it casually, not telling them that I'm writing a book. So it's not really official research, but I'm looking for anecdotes. I'm looking for stories. And sometimes by just like if they pause or if you follow up with a question and you're like curious, so... Like, for example, ladies, I'll give you an example. So we have a woman in our church who's now 90, and her and her husband were really good friends uh, with Jana and me, and, and Jana actually went to high school with, with her son, who, who was a congressman, a U.S. congressman, is now an attorney but down in the city of Chicago. But the husband died about five years ago, and we miss him dearly. But his wife has gone on and done really well. But So I asked her this question. I said, what is it like now to be alone? She turns to me and says, you know what? My 60s and 70s were some of my worst years but she said now that I'm 80 and now in my 90s they're really good years I said whoa and she walked into her car at that moment I said ah, Martha I would love to talk to you about that because that was a great insight said, so the so what's the follow-up question there let me ask you what's the follow-up question
0: what's happening in your 80s and 90s that you're less lonely? It seems so counterintuitive. It seems like totally more, it seems like you're right. I mean, that's, that's what I want to know. Like what happened between 60s and 70s that has allowed or 80s or 70s and 80s that has allowed her to be more okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And her husband died in her mid, her mid 80s. And and they had a good marriage wasn't like they had a bad marriage. So if you're a writer, right, and this is really coming back to to writing, if you're a writer and you're not curious, you will struggle to write a creative, fresh book that people will read it, it'll move them emotionally, and they'll say to someone else, oh my god, you have just got to read this book. And a lot of it comes back to this basic issue of curiosity, Making sure you follow up, especially if you're conducting, let's say you, you say I'm going to conduct 20 or 30 interviews for this project and not every book you need that. I'm not saying that you need to do that. But if you're doing a memoir, you might need to conduct some interviews to kind of get some details correct. And it's this curiosity and asking that follow up question that can really take your writing to a whole nother level.
0: I would add to that, Dave, that when I'm asking questions, especially that follow-up question, I pay attention to people's emotions as well. Like, oh, that seems like that was really difficult for you. And that gives them permission to be all right sharing the difficult stuff. But what it's also doing is helping you tap into the emotion of that person's experience so that you can tap into that emotion when you're, you're writing about it, either for a story or likely the person's emotion that they're they're demonstrating now will be an emotion that people reading the book will identify with. So I think it's really important when you're asking those follow-up questions to recognize the emotion with which they are sharing, because maybe it's anger, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's something that gives them pure joy. But if you can tap into that, I think that that will help you understand where they're coming from and help you understand the content and even your own content better and how your readers might respond to it.
1: It just makes for great, what's the word, grist for writing, for taking taking those stories then that were evoked through your question or the emotion that was generated. And it it just it it lives on your page. You just get these fresh moments, and that's what makes a book really readable. And and so this asking the follow-up question is so important. I gotta tell the story, which is almost a non sequitur from what we're talking about here, but I had to tell the story. So a few years ago, I was in the process of engaging a software company for our services for this other business that I have, and I had basically landed the agreement. I got the agreement. I got the go-ahead from the CEO, but he said, you know, Dave, before we actually move forward, I want you to talk to my senior partner. He was, a, he was overall sales I was a little nervous about it, right? Because this guy, I had, heard, I had had a conversation with him before and he was very blustery, you know, always confident sometimes, <laughs> right? Blah, 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 you know, one of those <laughs> guys. It was, a, it was a phone call. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to, I want him to be on, on, on his back feet the entire time. So I'm going to make sure that he doesn't ask me too many questions. Not that I was afraid about it, but I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep asking questions. Well, sure enough. Make the introduction and the phone call goes for about 40 minutes. About minute 38, he goes, Wait, we're done with this? I, I, I hadn't even, we haven't even talked much about you, Dave. And he says, Well, yeah, this looks good. I think we should move ahead with this project. He had not asked a single question of me. And as soon as we jumped on the phone, I started asking questions. Oh, I've heard so much about you. Tell me about this and then tell me about that. And 40 minutes later, he was still talking. And so those follow-up questions can be used in many different ways. In that instance, it kind of delayed, it it prevented me from having to talk about myself. So it was the most effective way that I could have closed that deal on which I did.
0: Well, it makes me think, Dave, about just developing relationships in general for the book writing process, all the way through promoting your book, right? You need these connections, these deep connections where people feel like they know you and they feel connected to you because when people feel connected to you, they'll more likely to be, be able to share what, you've, share what you've written. So you don't want to be manipulative in it, but it's really important to build genuine relationships and really care about people because that's what sticks with them. So I, I can see this playing out in the entire journey of the book writing process. So this next point comes with a word of caution. And it is when you are asking questions of people, maybe it's for your book writing project, maybe it's just for an article that you're writing, whatever the reason, it's really important that you empathize when appropriate. So when somebody shares something personal, it's important that they don't feel like they're out on an island and they're, they're not getting any sort of feedback and they are really almost embarrassed because they shared this deeply personal thing and they're getting no response from you. In those moments, I, it's really important to just acknowledge where they are emotionally and say, yeah, I can understand how that would have been difficult or whatever the emotion is that they're sharing. If you can empathize, that's really important. But Dave, you had a varying perspective on this. Can you talk about that?
1: This is just something you have to monitor and I have to monitor this in myself as well. So recently, uh, uh a friend they had lost their dog of like 15 years and that's a really emotional thing because your kids at this point tend to be more adults or they're they're in high school and you've had the family dog for 15 years and the dog dies it's a big deal but the temptation is she she was telling me about this and our dog had just died our dog of 13 years old Zoe who was a golden retriever had just died and all the family had been home it was a huge emotional thing so she's telling me the story and I, I started to say, wow, I, I said, I empathized with her. I said, man, that is hard. You know, we just went through that. And I almost started going down the road of starting to tell our story of Zoe. Yeah, we had Zoe for six, 13 years. You know, she was on her last leg, blah, 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 blah. I didn't do it. I wanted to do it. Instead, I turned the question around. I said, you know, I know that this is hard because I've gone through it. How, uh, how long again, did you have that dog and how did she die? And so the temptation always, when somebody tells a really emotional story or something that connects with you, it always triggers something in you and you want to tell the story. Well, then all of a sudden you've just co-opted that conversation. And so- I can tend to be this way. And so I think it's a caution as you, especially if you're doing research for a book, it's not about you. Your story is not that relevant. You might want to allude to something, but what you want to do is to get that next layer of conversation with that person. So I'm tempted to do this at times. And you do have to be cautious when when somebody tells you something emotionally, not only should you respond to it, not leave a long, awkward gap like what, what you're talking about, Melissa, but also be careful not to jump into your own story. You know, that reminds me when my dog died, you know, and blah, 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 blah.
0: People really turn into me monsters, especially at parties, you know, or it's just people want to talk about themselves and think that they are the most interesting person on the planet. And maybe they are. I don't know. I mean, I I tend to ask the questions and make them feel that way. But the reminder is, Dave, As soon as you start to tell your story and get lost in your story, you lose that opportunity to really understand somebody else's perspective. And the goal of writing a book is to connect with as many people as possible. So the more that you can get diverse stories from diverse people and understand emotions may be different than what you experience. say, you know, her emotion was slightly different when they lost the dog than yours. It's important to give you a well-rounded understanding of the human experience. So try not to turn into a me monster.
1: Okay, the next, the next point is when you're asking questions for a writing project, and this is so important, go in prepared. That means having a set of questions that are well thought out beforehand. And Melissa and I do this all the time. We do this for a podcast when we're interviewing someone. We do it for research when we're doing research. In fact, we go back and forth. Well, Melissa might create a first set of questions and I'll redline it because we want to make sure to answer the question, what do we want to know? So if you don't go in prepared, what happens is that you're not able to ask that follow-up question because your thinking hasn't been, the foundation of your thinking for that interview hasn't been prepared. And so it's really, really important that you go in prepared If you're doing an interview, let's say as part of your research for writing a book, it enables you to be more curious.
0: That's often why you need to have a sense of maybe the chapter that you're working on. Dave, you're at the preliminary stages of writing a book, so it's a little bit different. But if you're deep in your book and you are stuck and you're like, I need more information, be really clear about what the thesis is of your chapter and what exactly you need information-wise To flesh out that chapter, so yeah, it's so important to go in prepared. Also, know something about the person before you go in and ask them questions. Don't go in looking like an idiot. You have to build trust in these in these relationships, and if you say something that is obvious about the person you haven't done your homework, it could really breach that trust and make them very cautious and conveying stories or sharing more deeply with you. So do your homework, learn about the person, learn about their expertise, see if they've written on the topic just do your homework. And then I would also say, Dave, that be prepared for the conversation to go in directions that you never expected. How many times has that happened with us?
1: Oh my goodness. And and one of the great tips is make sure you leave the recorder or the recording device, or even if you're on a Zoom call, some of the best stuff happens at the very end of the interview. We've had this when we do interviews with, with someone where we'll have the interview is kind of over and we're done with the episode. We're done recording it. We haven't obviously haven't edited yet. And the person starts to go off on something that should have been in the interview that was so rich and so insightful. I think the point is these, these interviews do go off in wonderful, wonderful ways. Sometimes you have to keep bringing them back to the five to 10 questions. So you make sure you get those answered but let them go down those rabbit trails and, and continue to be curious about why that person brought up whatever anecdote or story and, and let them go. And I think that really helps flesh out and gives you really rich content uh, for when you go back to write that chapter.
0: The other point of why you want to record rather than strictly take notes is that when you're taking notes, You're not really listening to the nuances of the conversation. You're not picking up on those nonverbal cues and the face that we talked about earlier because your face is buried in your notepad. So it's really important to really free yourself to engage with the person, look the person in the eye, really listen deeply to what they're saying rather than just worrying about capturing ideas on your notepad. If you have that recorder, then you'll know that you're getting everything down that they said and you can get that transcribed and you can go back to it and highlight it and pull it out. So, Dave and I are big fans of recording so that you can be present for the interview.
1: And sometimes when we do these interviews together, you'll take notes and I won't, or I'll take notes, but you won't. Somebody needs to be able to be present to ask that follow-up questions. If you can do both, there's two people you can do both, but generally it's really great to record the conversation so that you don't have to take notes.
0: And sometimes you do take brief notes. Maybe there's a word that the person you're interviewing says that pops out at you, and you want to make sure you capture it because you want to go back to it. Just take really quick notes if you want to, but don't get so lost in your notes that you aren't engaged in the moment. All right. So here's another probably patently obvious tip when you're using your question asking and interviews in your book writing, and that is to give credit when credit is due to somebody else's ideas and also ask for permission to share stories, especially if you're divulging personal information and using the person's actual name. Dave, do you have any advice on that? You've written books and you've done so many interviews. How, how do you do this? How do you give credit when credit's due?
1: I, if I use an expression that I didn't come up with, I'm, I'll footnote it and say, I, I think I got this phrase from so-and-so in this interview. Because I just want to be honest about that. I was just this morning, I was out walking uh, our puppy and my neighbor came by and he was talking about, he had used an expression with someone who is quite famous and he had used this expression in a phone call with him. The next thing he knows, he's listening to a podcast where this guy was interviewed he uses the exact same expression. He basically stole it from him. This person is is in, in these, every circle is small, but in these circles is very prominent as a spokesperson. It's just offensive. So you do need to give credit. I mean, for Pete's sake, I mean, you can give credit and you don't need to make a big splash as you're writing. Just highlight it or just use it and then footnote the sentence and just say, hey, this expression I got from so-and-so it captured exactly what I was trying to say or something. It just keeps you honest. And if you've done the hard work of being curious and getting someone to say something fresh, give them the credit that they deserve.
0: To give the guy a little bit of lenience who used that phrase in the podcast, maybe he didn't even realize that he had picked up on it. Sometimes we pick up on things and we don't even know that we picked up on it from somebody else and are using it, right?
1: I think we probably need to give him some grace, right? But I, I do think it's a good point that, you know, if you hear something fresh and you're going to write it down, sometimes saying something is fine, but writing it down and making it part of your words, I don't know. I think if you give it credit once, then you can use it the rest of the book, but it's always good to give, you know, if so you hear something and you didn't come up with that expression. It'd be good to give credit where credit is due.
0: Okay, Dave, you take this final point and I'll add in my two cents worth after you get us going. So
1: this whole podcast really comes down to this point and And the big idea of this podcast is that curiosity is what helps you create a really fresh, creative, inviting book and unique book that people will it'll change people's lives. And it's your curiosity and the research process. and specifically as you're talking to people that really gets the good stuff. It's that second question. It's refusing to uh, to talk about yourself and keep asking and really dig deeper with people. But as we're writing, and this all comes back down to this, as we're writing chapters, we need to be curious of our own writing.
0: Yes, Dave. Yes, yes, yes. 100%.
1: <laughs> so if you lay down a sentence that is a general statement, and let me give you an example of that. So for example, I'm working on this book of what I'm calling "Becoming Alone. And I'm trying to find out when people, you know, once they hit their 50s, or even in their late 40s, they start to lose friends. They start to get divorced. Uh, maybe they gotten divorced earlier, but they lose they lose family members, and there's kind of this slow becoming alone. So I'm doing these interviews, right? So if I'm working on my chapter, I've done these interviews, and I write something general like, "As we age, we start to lose our friends," and then I keep writing, and I don't ask myself, so. Give me an example of that. So I need to be curious of that sentence so that I can flesh out that idea in a rich and compelling way. So, for example, I might might write that sentence and then I say, I need to illustrate that with a story. I might say, well, I'll tell you about a story of my friend Bill who slid his wrists in a hotel in Japan about 10 years ago. And it was kind of the first moment in my life where I realized I have just lost one of my best friends and there was this huge loss in my life. And I just remembered the other day, I was thinking about, oh, I got to tell, I got to ask Bill something because I need to find out what actually happened. I went, oh, I can't do that. But that would be a good example of how we lose friends as we start to age. If I just write that sentence and don't add the illustration or give explanation, then I'm I'm writing a general book that will appeal to nobody, and so the point is, when you start to write, is you lay down a sentence, and then you need to ask yourself: So what else do I need to say? If somebody, why
0: do I think that?
1: Why do I think that? Yeah, that's so good. Why do I think that?
0: And what does this mean for this other idea that I'm grappling with? It really, you could spend so much time just on that one statement, Dave. As we age, we start to lose friends, and we work with so many authors who make general statements like that, and they think it's enough, but it really it isn't enough because as a reader, you're like, oh, tell me more about that. I mean, we start to lose friends, but what does it mean when we start to lose friends, right? They want that next layer, and wh- wh- why does it matter that you're saying this, that you know, we're losing friends, and why should it matter to me that I read the rest of your book, it's always going to that next level and really thinking of the reader and what the reader would want to know. And sometimes you don't even, you haven't even explored all the nuances and you need to just sit in that discomfort and ask those questions that maybe somebody would ask you if they were interviewing you.
1: You need to be curious of your own writing, because if you're not, you'll end up with really gen, a general book and you'll end up with a book that's just unhelpful and uninteresting. Imagine doing a book on leadership and you stayed at that, that real general level. That would be the most dreary book you could ever hand, you know, hand to someone. Um, So whatever the topic that you're writing on, as you write your chapters and you start to lay down sentences, keep going deeper by asking yourself, so why is that important to me? Why am I writing that now? What is an example of that? What is, you know, and keep asking, do I need to explain this more? Do I need to illustrate it? Do I need to prove it? What do I need to do to make sure this, this sentence in it, you might, take a, you might take a sentence and make it an entire page by asking good questions. And that's what creates great writing. People always say, well, how can I take this idea for a book, my thesis and write an entire book? You have to be curious about that idea. And there's, there's, you know, you can write an entire book, on a thesis, on an idea. In fact, we say you can't write a book without a thesis and without a main idea. So I would just encourage you to be curious of your own writing and your own sentences when you start to lay them down.
0: I actually think this is a really good point, Dave, is you have a book idea. You even have a thesis and a structure for a book. You may even think that you know everything that you want to write on the topic, but as soon as you start writing, you realize you don't know everything that you need to say or want to say on that topic. And you have to slow down and ask those questions, even how has my thinking evolved since I first laid down this thesis? How has my thinking evolved since i laid down this structure? I just had a conversation with this person. Does this change what I'm saying? And sometimes it will change. And so this curiosity is something that fuels your entire book project. And it's something that may even take you someplace that you never even expected when you started out writing your book.
1: I think it absolutely will take you in places that you never thought you would go.
0: That's exciting, isn't it? Because it that really
1: means, is exciting.
0: That means you're uncovering something new and worth sharing and worth people reading.
1: Yeah, this is good. This, this whole topic on curiosity, we could probably talk about it all day and, and tell us fun stories. I'll tell one more fun story. So we have a neighbor who moved into our neighborhood several years ago. And, and this person, he and his wife are really nice people, but really into themselves. They have two kids and it's all about their kids and all about their sports. And, and he's one of those wealth management people. You know, they're all about 6'2", 6'3". We all were former athletes in high school. He came from the South. And so we would get together and when our kids played on, uh, our daughters played on the same soccer team, we would stand together and just talk. So I would ask him tons of questions and he would end up talking most of the time. It kind of started to annoy me <laughs> because I was the one doing all the question asking and, and not doing all the listening. One day I thought, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell a story And so I told an extended story and in the middle of the story, he turns and walks away.
0: What did you make of that?
1: I really wasn't offended because I realized he was never listening to me. He was not interested in me. He couldn't have cared. And I realized about the nature of the relationship. And I honestly wasn't that offended. I actually laughed about it, but it made me realize. And I actually, I stopped, I stopped talking to him because I thought, you know, he truly isn't interested in me, literally. And it, I think it happened twice. I may have even gone back one time and it happened again. I remember telling my wife, Jana, we laughed about it. <laughs> but it just goes to show that people are not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And so yeah. if you can be curious about other people's lives, you're going to just get great content, great ideas, great insights, great stories for your book. And you just have to be curious enough to stop talking about yourself.
0: I'm always amazed the stuff that I can draw out of people. I really sometimes I'm like, "Wow, how did I get person to get that person to share that really like personal deep thing?" Not that I'm manipulative in it, but it's really amazing to me that with the right questions you can really get at some amazing stories, some amazing personal insight being curious, it's, it's a gift that we should all embrace more of. I think, Dave, that's a good note to end on.
1: <laughs> I agree. I think you have to be a great observer. And I think you have to be a great question asker. In other words, an observer of life, to be able to see life in ways that other people don't. And I think you, you become a good writer by being very curious.
0: I hope that this helps people. I really do. I hope that people are empowered to go and ask good questions, go prepare to their interviews, everything that we talked about. All right, Dave, let's talk about our words of the episode. I used this word last week in a meeting, and he said, this should be your word of the episode. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so this week's word of the episode was really easy for me to come by because you told me to use it. The word is sycophant, and it is a person who acts obsequiously towards someone important in order to gain advantage. So it's like a teacher's pet, a schmoozer, somebody who kiss ups. They're all sycophants. Sycophant's just a fancy word for all of those, those pedestrian ways of saying that you're trying to gain advantage with somebody for your personal gains. We were in this meeting with a bunch of um, executives and there was clearly a hierarchy of somebody who was in the premier seat of leadership and then some then it was there was the middle person and then somebody slightly beneath this person you could see just all of this this jockeying for Power by just being so generous with compliments, overly generous, right? And that to me is being a sycophant. So yeah. we were in a room of sycophants.
1: <laughs> I loved when you used that word after the meeting. I thought, man, you just nailed it. Oh, that was a perfect word to describe the folks in that meeting. And they're all great folks, by the way. But it was really clear that there was uh, there was a hierarchy there and and there was the other two sycophants. So,
0: Am, am I your sycophant? Am I a sycophant? Yeah, I would
1: love if you were that, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> You're a partner with Journey 66 and uh, we've been working together for, for 21 years. So I or 20 some years, 22 years, I have no idea. Yeah,
0: 23 years, maybe. Yeah,
1: 23 years, it just keeps going on and on and on. I, I doubt that you could work together with me and be a sycophant
0: but it is it's being a sycophant it is a, it's a power move right when you want to manipulate somebody so that you have a little bit more power you are a sycophant so yeah,
1: you really are so my word of the episode is chagrin and it's a common word or common enough word but i thought you know sometimes i don't think i use this i use it as a synonym for embarrassed it's right. related to that but the the actual the actual um, definition is distress or embarrassment at having failed or been humiliated. So I think the specificity of having failed or been humiliated is really important. So here, here would be an example. I, I, I don't know. I drummed up this sentence. He was chagrined when he rolled his ankle as he walked his soon-to-be wife up the aisle.
0: How do people usually use it incorrectly? I mean, I think much to my chagrin, that's how you use it in a cliche. And I think it's, it's lost its power because of that cliche.
1: That's exactly right. Much to my chagrin, because it doesn't really, it's not specific to having failed or really been humiliated, like humiliated, right. is a strong word. So if you use chagrin, it, I think you need to, to feel a sense of humiliation. Sometimes you're just embarrassed.
0: Right. Like I was chagrined when I walked out of the bathroom and my dress was stuck in my pantyhose. Yes. <laughs> That's humiliation. That's
1: Humiliation. Yeah. <laughs> That's humiliation.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. People just use it way too casually that they don't even know what it means because of that cliche. It's lost its meaning. And that is our problem with cliches, Dave, is that you use them so much that people don't even know what they're saying when they use them. They kind of just use them without even thinking. So a great word today to share with us so that we actually use it appropriately. I'm going to use it this week.
1: Okay. Sycophant and chagrin.
0: Chagrin. So Dave, let's talk a little bit about the quiz on our website that we are inviting people to take. Can you talk a little bit about this and what people are finding out when they take the quiz?
1: So we have a quiz on our site and It's really for those of you who are just starting out thinking about writing a book. And when you're just starting out, you're thinking about an idea that's in your head that just won't go away. Sometimes it's general, like I want to write a memoir, right? That's one way to have an idea. But sometimes I want to write a memoir about a certain time period in my life, maybe growing up on my grandfather's farm in Kentucky. And you might want to write a memoir about that. But the quiz is for those who are in that really early idea formation stage. So if you're you're young in that idea and you, you really need help kind of sharpening it, winnowing it, take the quiz and all you have to do is you can either go to journey66, the number 66, journey66.com, and that'll redirect you to the quiz. And if you go there, you'll also get an activity that you can do that'll help you winnow and sharpen that idea. It's bizarre when you think about it, Melissa, that one idea has to govern an entire book. Even though the book is made up of hundreds of thousands of ideas, because in a sense, every sentence is an idea, right? But every sentence in that book has to reflect that bigger idea that is governing that book. And so getting really clear on what your book is actually about is really important. So this quiz is a simple way to do it. So jump on journey66.com, take the quiz, and you'll, you'll get some practical help.
0: So much to my chagrin, Dave, I've been using another cliche in every episode, and it is, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> So we're gonna stop saying that's a wrap because it is so cliche and say something new every week when we are finished with our episodes. So what are we gonna say? This this episode was pure genius.
1: Well, that would be a little bit self-serving, but let, let's end on that.
0: Maybe I need a sycophant by saying it was pure genius, the <laughs> self-sycophant.
1: <laughs> let's be self-congratulatory and and self uh, and kind of be a and pompous and say, you know what, this episode was pure genius.
0: Pure genius. I'm Melissa Parks.
1: And I'm Dave Getz.
0: Now buckle up and write.